Hello again, everybody, and welcome back to The Accelerator with Michael Conniff. I'm your host. Uh, we're a podcast for startups, accelerators, founders, uh, also for family offices, and um, who, who else is it? Investment firms, VCs, angels, all of the above. We also have a podcast called The Angel, and we ask you to um, get on our Substack mailing list to also um, look at us and find us on all the major platforms, rate us, review us, subscribe for sure. Uh, we're also on uh, not just the um, audio um, platforms, but also on Spotify and YouTube with both audio and video. And today um, it's, uh, it's a really interesting podcast. I can tell you that already. I want to welcome uh, Marco, Marco Maru. He's the CEO of M80 and Esports Company. Welcome, Marco. Thanks for, thanks for being here. Thank you, Michael. I appreciate the, uh, the intro. Now, I want to circle back in a second to your, your long and, and successful career as a serial entrepreneur, but I think uh, in the interest of, uh, 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 interest of clarity, it would be very helpful if you could define esports. You're an esports company. Um, that phrase gets thrown out. I've heard, I've heard it misunderstood twice in the last week. So, so could you tell us what, for your money, what is esports? Yeah, so esports e is really simple. Um, if you're 30 and under, you're probably watching it already. Um, esports is essentially uh, professional video game competitions and teams uh, and players around the world competing in events both online and in, in live arenas, just like you see your favorite sports teams uh, playing right now. But in this case, they're playing on stage on computers versus other teams um, that are equally suited, um, you know, gamers, if you will. So it's essentially professional video game competitions, leagues and tournaments around the world. And it's also um, uh, you have both live events and virtual events, but give us some sense of uh, how big the market is, because I think this just might be the most underestimated market since video games was underestimated years ago. So how give us some sense of scope uh, of this of this market? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, for, you know, for instance, um, when you look at the spectrum of the average viewer of sports, generally a lot of our our Legacy sports like the MLB and, and the NFL are at the very top in average viewership age. But once you get to 30 and under, esports is pretty much the predominant, dominant uh, place for eyeballs for that demographic, both male and female. Um, so esports is really sports for the younger generation. That's why you see so many professional sports owners and or organizations getting into esports as well is because they need to really have a play in that space. Um, I mean, to give you an example of the viewership, you know, a recent uh, major event for Counter-Strike, which is IEM in Cologne, Germany, over the weekend, it drew over 30 million hours watched online from viewers, right? So um, not only are you filling up a stadium with, you know, 15 to 20,000 people, as if you would an NBA game, you're also drawing, you know, millions of hours of viewership um, online on, on streaming platforms like Twitch and YouTube over literally like a couple day period. So it, it's really is a massive um, industry with massive viewership interest um, and growth. How, how, so, so it's a demographic play. So if you want to get to 18 to 30, uh, I would think particularly male uh, uh, boys and young men that um, if you, you can no longer go to the NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, or any real traditional league, uh, is that is that true? If you really want to find those those viewers, 
Yeah, I mean, I always say, you know, if you're trying to reach the gamer demographic, um, they're in one of three places. They're either playing games, they're watching people play games, or they're watching Netflix. And that's pretty much all they do. So <laughs> you're really going to be, you know, in one of those three spots. Um, I'm so trying they- I'm trying not to not to think of that as the arrival of the signs that the apocalypse are upon us, as Sports Illustrated used to say. Is yeah. that a sign that the apocalypse is upon us, or, or is that a sign of, you know, hope? No, no apocalypse is that all my players, um, they'll door dash a coffee for $15. They could walk into a store locally and go get for $3 because of the, the convenience. To me, that's like door dash is the sign of the apocalypse. But, um, you know, but but look, it all blends in together. And, um, you know, it's, it, it's actually I really love this generation. A lot of the people that I work with in my business, um, both players that play for me and people that I work with. You know, you're dealing with 16, 17, 18, uh, 19, 20 year old, uh, really young people. But I tell you that that generation works extremely hard um, and they're extremely aware of what's happening in the world around them and where they choose to spend their time and effort. You know, a lot of our players practice eight to 10 hours a day when they're not competing in matches. Um, They're really I think we're you know, that that generation's in good shape. So. yeah, well, that's it's good to hear that. Now, let me ask you sort of a sort of a dumb question, but maybe an important question is: Why are they watching esports and not watching actual sports? Well, because I mean, look, gaming is is probably if there is a recession proof industry that I've ever seen in my career over the last you know, three decades, it's game and video games. I and mean, even when the economy is at its worst and the recessions are happening. There's still a line in the mall that GameStop for kids to buy games. Kids are still coming home and, and buying and playing, um, you know, games at their house. Generally, the reason for that is, you know, they'll spend $40, $50 and they'll get, you know, 1,000 hours or 2,000 hours of enjoyment out of that product versus you know, paying the same amount to go to see a movie. So, um, you know, I think the reason why is because most of this uh, demographic and this generation, when they have free time, they're playing games versus watching TV or going, you know, driving to a ballpark to, to see a major league baseball game. They'd rather jump online and the games are very social. Uh, well. um, you know, and again, like you see a lot of, I mean, the call that I was just on, um, you see a lot of professional athletes in this space as well, both as investors and active participants in gaming. Um, Give some examples of that. Oh, sure. I mean, like, you know, you've got guys like, you know, Kava Noy, uh, you know, NFL player, Ezekiel Elliott, NFL player. Uh, I've worked with Justin Simmons of the Broncos, um, who's an investor and, and, and esports player himself. Um, you know, many of these, you know, the Cowboys obviously are, are involved in the industry as well with complexity. So, you know, there, there's a there's very deep ties between traditional sports and esports, um, and they're only going to get stronger. And I have to, um, I'm obliged, though, I, I should put a moratorium on my um, <clears throat> my EA Sports story, my EA story, so EA, huge video game company. Um, but when I was a freshman at Harvard, there was this guy upstairs who, he was a bit nerdy, and he kept inviting everybody to come up and play his football card game. You know, and to me, this sounded like the dumbest idea I had ever heard. Well, you can probably guess the rest. That guy was Trip Hawkins, who founded... Uh, electronic arts and did the initial deal with John Madden and Dr. J and, you know, basically uh, is responsible for, for transforming or creating 
that world. Um, one interesting note is he had the idea that game creators were rock stars and he kind of promoted them that way. That was his big innovation, but nobody, that actually wasn't true. Nobody really cared. <laughs> and uh, they, they had to pivot out of that, but they pivoted, pivoted well, obviously. So yeah. um, I think I'm going to pledge not to tell that story again. I think that's the second time. So Trip got me to buy a 3DO. So if you're oh, oh boy, that's uh, oh. that was the classic mistake of thinking that better hardware was going to be the answer. Video um, owner when those came out, thirty-two bit, thirty-two bit. He thought that was it. That was going to do it over Nintendo and Sega. But um, Marco, um, let me let me talk. This sort of segues into the past a little bit. To give me, you know, in a nutshell, your entrepreneurial journey and your serial entrepreneurship. Pretty much in this space, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, predominantly. I mean, I you know, for me, you know, I went to undergraduate and law school in Boston. Um, mm-hmm. I practiced as an attorney for about nine years here in Boston. You know, I had intellectual property practice. I did um, some real estate work. Um, it was a good practice, but like a lot of other people in that space, I got bored um, and just decided in 2009 that I, I wanted to, to move into a different industry. I was always very passionate about the game industry. It meant a lot to me personally. So... I shut my law practice down and I decided I was going to move into gaming, um, took a job with a company based out of Hong Kong that was developing browser-based flash games back in, back in 2009. This is when mobile was very nascent, um, ran their browser-based game, uh, flash-based game for about four years and, uh, and ran the new, ran the U S operation for those guys. Um, 40 million players around the world, very big game. And then decided I want to start my first company because I could see how well this was doing for somebody else, but I wanted to do it for myself. So yeah. I started a independent mobile game publishing label called Gambler uh, in 2013. It's my first company. We would sign really innovative, high quality game developers, um, handle all the business side of their business of their work, um, and get their games teed up for success on platforms like the App Store and Google. We published eight games in two years. We got seven featured by Apple. Um, including two editors' choices. So had success there, um, was enjoying that business, but realized it was expensive to get users in 2015. And then I started to experiment then with paying YouTube influencers um, on a performance marketing basis, on a CPI, to make sponsored videos about my mobile games. And it worked very, very well. Uh, Had never really been done before like that. And a few investors wanted me to double down on it. So I started a company called Rooster in 2015. We built a marketplace. Every mobile game publisher under the sun had their games up there for offers. And YouTube influencers could go onto that platform and pick the games they wanted to make uh, a video about and get paid per install all programmatically. Um, and a very successful company. We exited and sold that company to Chartboost out of San Francisco um, after uh, just less than a year. Um, went over to Chartboost for about a year and then left and then started a company called Framerate. Framerate was very similar to House of Highlights, um, very sports-driven highlights, memes, um, great plays from gamers. We pumped those into short-form video networks like TikTok and Instagram and anywhere else where we thought people would watch them in in short-form bites. And we let gamers essentially sell their highlights back to brands, use as ads, and it worked really, really well. We were up to 50 million views a month, and then we sold that company to Super League Gaming out of Santa Monica, and I exited to them in 2019. Um, went over to Super League as an SVP for about a year to help them work on their content business. Um, began to see the dramatic rise in esports and competitive gaming and 
how quickly you could build a very scalable, large audience in that business uh, very fast if you were good at what you did. Um, decided to start a company called Exet with a few partners uh, from the Boston area. Um, built several very uh, successful esports teams and programs. Um, my partners were very focused on the, uh, the brand and apparel side of the business. And, you know, I think after two years, we kind of looked at it and we decided that um, we wanted to build two different kinds of companies. So rather than fight about it, like a lot of entrepreneurs do, I think we understood, <laughs> let's split up. You guys can build this. I'm going to take the, um, you know, the things that I, that I brought into Exet, like the teams and some people and go build something new. And that's when we really had the vision to start to work on what we wanted to, to see for the future, which was M80. M80 meaning meaning a team. Did um, um, I'm I'm very curious. Did are you using influencers now? Well, you know our total reach in less than eight months is close to 12 million people. Uh, you know, direct to consumer for our audience, um, and that is directly correlated to our brand and the talent that plays for us. So just like traditional sports, we have stars on our teams that have followers from the hundreds of thousands to the millions that you know, love those players and love those teams. And those players are all contracted athletes with M80. They're, they're part of our organization. They play for us, they perform for us. Um, and they also endorse products for us and, and work with us in our partnerships. Right. So I have to ask though, though, you know, this is, the numbers are incredible. <clears throat> are they athletes? I, I absolutely believe they're athletes. I mean, these, the, at, at this, it's, it's a very, you know, it's a different type of athletics, and this is definitely a debate that we could probably have definitely mental. You know, mental some physicality for sure, right? Physicality, um, you know, eye hand coordination probably you know exceeds traditional sports. I think to some degree, um, but I will tell you this: as someone in the space, a lot of the same support structures that you see in traditional sports, dietitians, exercise and fitness coaches, mental fitness coaches. They're all they're all present in esports as well. Like all of our teams have a mental health coach to work with them on understanding how to handle pressure, especially because a lot of these are younger kids, and you know there's a lot of pressure um, at times when these kids are playing for you know hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars, on stage against each other, and they're you know young young people. You want to make sure that you can be there to support them um, in that process, especially if they have needs. So like you know dietitians, mental health. Um, all those types of things, even financial consulting. You know, we have several. You know, I won't name the brand, name them, but they're pretty big financial uh, brands out there that want to get in front of these players um, sure. just to help manage their money. They're young, and they, you know, they're just putting the money in the bank. They're not even investing it yet. So, so let's um, drill down on on M eighty, the business. So, um, you're you're the owner of a team. Um, you said, you know, you have players, you recruit them, you, you help them in all these different ways. Um, I, I, I guess what I, and, and, and just so people understand there are leagues, there are events, there's prize money, there's sponsorship, there's merchandising, all of these things. They are exactly like, um, or on the face of it, they're like, uh, professional sports teams, uh, or things an athlete would look for. So, um, so the dynamics of the business, I'm just, I, I just am curious. So obviously recruiting is pretty important and, um, you recruit way down into young people, right? How far down do you go age wise? Uh, I mean, I think we've looked at 
we've looked at players as young as 14 or 15 before. Yep. Um, we haven't signed a player that young. I have signed several players at 16, um, work with their schools, work with their parents, work with their travel schedules. Um, what, just, how, and, and just to drill down on the, on the signing. So, um, do you, uh, essentially, are you paying them a salary, a signing bonus, a percentage of revenues? How does it work? I mean, generally these players, whether they're 16 or, or 21, they're getting a, a base salary. They're getting incentives for performance. Um, they're getting prize winnings um, based on the events that we win. Um, and they also receive endorsement deals and endorsement opportunities through M80. Um, and they generally do fairly well for themselves. I mean, they're, you know, many of these yeah. kids are working and they were from low to mid six figures um, in high school. In right? high school. Yeah, that's not bad. That's not bad. And um, are you generally sharing revenues with them in all these different categories? Yeah, we you know, we share revenue, we share prize winnings with them, okay. we share um, sponsorship revenue with them, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, uh, you know all those types of things that you know, we will share with them. Right? Do they have money. agents? Most of them do. Yes. Uh huh. Even that young. Wow. Yeah. And is it completely a young person's game? And it makes me think of you know they say no mathematician has ever. Like mathematicians are like done at age 30. <laughs> They're not going to come up with, you know, anything big um, as they get older. Um, are there older players or is this, is this like an athlete? You said they're athletes. So an athlete, let's say a soccer player, um, is going to start almost invariably to at least show signs of decline early 30s, right? Um, can a player go beyond that? Are there any older players? Yeah, I would say, you know, there are always going to be the anomalies out there. Um, but I would say the average esports player is anywhere between 17 and 24. And once you hit 24, 25, and you start to see the hand-eye reflex uh, go down a little bit, I don't know if it's that or a combination of that and burnout. But generally after 25, I start. I think you start to see a lot of players kind of phase out. But there are always going to be an exception to it. Have you ever had to cut a player? Oh, yeah. You just yeah. say, you know, sorry, it's over. You know, you know, you know what they always say, never mistake effort for results. Right. So like, <laughs> right, right. So can, can you trade them? You can trade, you can sell players, um, player contracts. Is there a transfer market like in, in world football? It's very similar to like the premiership and like, you know, like, like European football where you will sell a contract for a player uh-huh. team and those contracts, you know, um, have sold for half a million, million dollars. If not. Yep. Um, so player, there's definitely a, a market to buy and sell players that are high quality. So let's talk about the, the market as a whole. How, how, how big is it today in terms of revenue, total revenue for every, all in everything? Yeah. So, I mean, um, you know, it, it, there's so many different parts of, the, of you know, the game industry that, mm-hmm. Um, you can drive money from um, and, you know, and establish money. Right. So, I mean, I think like, you know, I mean, I think in the second quarter of 2023, the total gaming revenue like was over $16 billion. Um, and that's going to, again, continue to go up, continue to scale because this generation is only going to get older and have more disposable income. And, you know, many of the things that gamers indulge in like nice PCs and nice monitors and, 
you know, in-game items in games are not inexpensive items. I mean, most in-game skins that you buy, those packs are a hundred dollars a piece. They're not, you know, five, ten dollars. So um, what is it in, what is an in-game skin? Like it's a it's a outfit or a uniform for your favorite okay. player game or you know a, a, a wrap that you'd put around a gun or a car in a game. You can wrap it in a certain uh, and style. you can buy that as you can buy that as well in, in as part of your um, your financial structure, right? P- that's part of it. Yeah. Buying so so in game purchases, I think we're talking about. Yeah? Sorry. So when you work, for example, we work with a publisher like Ubisoft and Rainbow Six. Ubisoft offers in game skins in the games themselves for people to purchase. And then we share in the revenue with, with Ubisoft for those purchases. Um, and those can be really nice revenue sources for, for your brand, especially as your brand gets more popular. And what, uh, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, keep going. No, it's okay. Um, what, um, um, how about in terms of, so you're, you're um, you know, we're called the accelerator where we talk to startups like you, right? So you're a startup. Um, What's your revenue and, 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 and how big do you think it can grow and how fast? So, I mean, you know, more mature businesses in this space um, that have been around a little bit longer. I mean, they're doing, you know, upwards of, of, of 30, 40, 50 million dollars a year in revenue. Um, you know, we are in our first year uh, projected to, you know, to reach at least two and a half, if not three million in revenue um, for our first year as a business. So I feel pretty good about that. Yeah. And, you know, we're just getting started. So, you know, once we turn on, you know, right now we have a couple of our revenue streams turned on, esports and sponsorships, um, as well as, you know, our e-commerce. But once we turn on our digital goods and our game publishing and CPG sides of the business, I think those are really going to perform extremely well. Um, You know, you're seeing, you know, it's not esports per se, but there's a phenomenon out there called the creator economy now where these these very popular YouTubers, these very popular esports players um, and, and gaming content creators, they have millions and millions of fans that they have a direct relationship with and their conversion rates are very, very high. So you have people like Mr. B selling $2 million a week in feastable bars um, in stores across the United States. You, you don't need to go after a, a major movie star or TV star. And I hate to say you don't need Tom Cruise anymore to, to sell a product. You just need a great esports player. Um, you yeah. know, and that's part of the equation. When we sign somebody... Sometimes we sign a player or do a deal, not just for how good of a player that is in the server, but also their marketability and their ability to sell products outside the server as well. What, 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 what makes a gamer marketable? Um, being good at a game, number one. Of course. Um, creating good content and having a good streaming audience is two. Uh, obviously being likable and, and, and being relatable, I think, for a lot of fans, that's important. But um, I think it's really important to... To you know, be known for your success or your skill level, right? Right. Be- it's like uh, Megan Rapino said when they, uh, or as she said many times, the uh, uh, U.S. women's national team uh, star who just retired. She said, "You know, if you don't win, nobody really cares about the rest of it." <laughs> um, you, know, you know, winning. It's like I said the same thing. It's you know, winning is not enough on its own. But winning is a required element to have a chance to build something very valuable because yeah. less people, unless you're winning, people don't really care about your brand. What about gambling? So, you know, gambling is an interesting space. Um, it is highly regulated around esports. Um, you're starting, you know, it, for, for, the, for a long time it was taboo. You're not allowed to have a gambling sponsor in esports. 
Um, some games in esports, like Counter Strike, for example, which is a game that we're involved with, uh, recently we launched a team does allow for betting sponsors and gambling sponsors, um, and those can be pretty lucrative deals as well to have. I think as you know, obviously DraftKings, uh, you know, FanDuel, all the betting apps, all the daily fantasy apps, they all have esports players. You can bet on any of our teams on any of these apps any day of the week that you want to. You can, fact, bet, you can bet on them. Yeah. In fact, somebody bet on our Counter-Strike team last week. They posted on Twitter that they bet 10000 We were the underdog, and they ended up winning 30000 bucks on stake. Um, but, wow. but, but, but it's not, it's, it's not okay for every game yet. But I do think as you're starting to see more states legalize gambling and gambling become to be more adopted um, in the in the general sports ecosystem, I think esports is starting to loosen the reins a little bit, and they're going to probably follow suit with the rest of it. Yeah, it's hard to imagine how how they wouldn't, right? I mean, it's just sort of it's so much like regular sports in um, in so many ways. So for M eighty as the owner. As the Jerry Jones of one, uh, George Steinbrenner of uh, M80, um, or for, you're up in Boston, I should probably say Robert Kraft, right? Yeah, uh, so as and uh, he and and I have to point out, I'm incredibly impressed. You have season tickets with the for the Celtics, so let's put that on the table. But um, but tell me how you look at the your team and your business. Um, where. And specifically, where is the money coming from now, as opposed to where the money, the bulk of the money will come for from, say, in five years? Yeah. So every company, every is my fifth company. Every company has different phases that it goes through. There's like the early stage, you know, take off. It's almost kind of like launching a rocket, right? Like you take, you know, you fire up the engines, you take off. And what gets you the first, you know, 500,000 feet in the air Um is going to be the things that you can activate on immediately, which in our case are obviously our esports teams are winning, so we're making money with with, with prize winnings um, and tournament winnings. Um, sponsors like to see teams that win, so sponsors come calling and they want to do sponsorship deals. So our sponsor revenue is is activated as well. Fans like to watch you win; they want to support your team, so we start selling jerseys, apparel, merchandise on the e-commerce site. So those three are are your natural initial activators, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and as your brand grows, you know, you see this a lot. I see this a lot with lots of different startups. Um, you know, I kind of liken it to you, even if things are going well for you as a startup and you have traction, you really need to reach escape velocity, right? Because there's a certain point that startups, I think, hit a lot of times when the things are going well, maybe get a little complacent when they're making some money or they've raised a lot of money and they feel a little lazier and they don't really quite reach escape velocity yet. And then they start to come back down to earth and then the brand starts to lose its scale and traction and growth. Those are the companies a lot of times that either don't make it or they end up selling for a smaller exit or not being as successful. But the companies that really keep pushing and pouring the gas on it, when you see what's working um, and you hit that escape velocity, once you hit that, that's when you really see like the hockey stick. And that's when you see the numbers just go through the roof because now you've really you've taken a brand that was successful and you've accelerated and pushed it and worked even harder on it to get it to that point where like now you've really broken through and you've had that moment and you've been on the today show or you've won a major event and you've, um, you've come out with a product that, you know, people just can't live without and, and they have to have it. Right. So, so for me, that's, that's really kind of what it's about. So 
we'll, you know, we're working toward escape velocity. Once we get there, I think our CPG and game publishing businesses will be probably our heaviest revenue drivers for us, like two years down the road. You publish your own games, you think? Oh, you know, yeah. We're going to be publishing games in Q1 next year. Oh, okay. Because you've done that before, obviously. So that's a natural. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, There's a whole new phenomenon now around the idea of influencer publishing, if you will, which is yeah. taking a big star. It's, it's like the creator economy, a big star that wants to launch his own whiskey, right? Or launch his own gin or launch his own cigar. Or whatever. <laughs> whatever. In, in our case, you know, we want to launch our own games. Um, and I, I think we're going to have a lot of success there because we can use all the eyeballs and users and traction that we have to help. Well, all the influencers. No, it's a great, it's a great model. I want to remind everyone you've been listening to the accelerator with Michael Conniff. Um, we are a podcast devoted to startups, founders, and entrepreneurs. Uh, you can see the full video and audio on, and we used to call that television on, um, on, uh, Spotify and on, on YouTube. And we're on every major, uh, auto, uh, pardon me, every major audio platform, including Audible, Amazon, and Apple. Uh, in addition to that, um, look for our newsletter. Um, we have over 8,000 subscribers to our newsletter, getting an incredible open rate. So we appreciate that. Also, review us, uh, rate us, rank us, and, uh, of course, subscribe. And I want to thank um, a fascinating guest, some uh, multiple successful. You kept using the word successful. That's, that's, that's really nice. Uh, entrepreneur Marco Baru is the CEO of M80. It's an esports game. Uh, he is, in effect, like an owner is in a sports in a regular sports league. Only in some in some ways, it sounds like this has more upside <laughs> because nobody's yelling at you, right? And nobody's nobody's criticizing you. So, thanks so much for being here, Marco. You did a great job. Appreciate it. Thanks, Michael. I appreciate it. And I want to thank all of you for listening. Remember, we'll be back here with another podcast, either The Angel or The Accelerator, before you know it.